This week, we're talking about prestige classes, whether we'd use them, what the Wizard UA prestige class looks like, and some of the better third-party things that are being made by the community. Welcome to We Speak Common. Hello and welcome to We Speak Common, the podcast all about story crafting, mechanics, D&D builds and just Dungeons and or Dragons in general. We're brought to you in partnership with the Dice Dungeon UK where you can get yourself some really nice crafted dice, both metal and resin. And if you use the code We Speak Common on checkout, you'll get 10% off your entire order. Or you can follow the link in the description of this podcast and episode right now and it will automatically give you that 10% off when you go to checkout. So why not browse while you're having a listen to us? Just rattle on. How you doing, Joe? Uh, very well, Benjamin. Very well, mate. You know, uh, got up not that long ago, to be honest yeah. with you. Um, it's a good start for you there. And so, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm in a state of uh, relaxation and just uh, yeah, ready to talk about dungeons and dragons today. You want to so, talk about both, particularly? Well, actually, probably going to talk about neither uh, specifically. <laughs> but <laughs> okay, the, the the surrounding game itself, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, Dungeons and Dragons—they're a little trite these days, you know. So, <laughs> to be so. fair, we haven't done any actual dungeoneering in any of our Dungeons and Dragons for quite some time. Well, to be honest. Uh, I don't really like Dungeoneering all that much. What? Shock horror! I, just, I don't know, I just... Uh, it's never, like, the the best part of D&D for me, I don't think. I think I have um, to be in the mood for it. When I'm, like, when I haven't done it for a while, I get the urge to do the whole, like torch in my hand slowly creeping through a cavern looking at all the walls like when i'm in the mood for it i love it but if i'm not not there for it then it yeah i I can feel you yeah i don't know i guess i just so i just for me sometimes it feels like a grind like i generally don't like playing D D in the sort of literally announce every footstep kind of way mm-hmm. um I don't know why I like it to be maybe slightly more abstracted than that. I like a lot of the more overland adventuring stuff generally Mm. uh, with maybe little, you know, little stops here and there to do different things. I don't know. I just find that to be a little bit more up my alley. I'm not really sure why, why that is. I mean, I like a good like boss encounter in a lair. Yeah, that's always fun. But to me, that's a bit different to like the classic dungeoneering to me. I'd like to just sort of skip straight to the boss <laughs> once I get into the dungeon. I don't know. Um, I don't know why that is. But you like you go. You're like, give me the trouble. Give me the fight. I'm ready to uh, to take you on already. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it depends as well. I think on your your class and stuff. Like if you play, I think some classes are more well suited to it. Like rogues, obviously, mm. are quite well suited to to. Uh, running around dungeons, disarming traps, etc. That sort of thing. And I think, you know, wizards generally do pretty well in dungeons as well. Or just more like um utility spell casting focuses. But like if I'm a fighter or a paladin, generally it's not as exciting to me. But that may just be my own lack of creativity in those situations. But 
Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just not sure. I mean, I like fighting dragons. Now that is <laughs> that's more that is more fun. I mean, that's never actually not fun no. to be honest. And I mean, they are in the title, so you do you do kind of need that to be fun. To be fair, and, what, and what's weird is they pretty much have like really boring stat blocks. It's just hit me or hit me with a tail or bite me or just breathe on me. And like that's kind of like the extent, but for some reason it's just still really fun. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the whole like David and Goliath kind of mentality that makes it fun because you're up against this gargantuan creature. I mean, they aren't. I don't think in rules they're gargantuan, but um, you know, they, these big, big old hulking things. I think as well, if you want to add a bit of flavour to your dragon, you just use the spellcasting variant rule and you give them a bit of magic. Yeah, that always um, spices things up a little bit. Uh, which I think is pretty cool, and obviously their their lair actions and whatnot, or um, mm-hmm. and legendary actions can mix things up a bit. So yeah, I guess it's just iconic as well, and it? it's just you've got to fight a dragon in your campaign at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, or are you? They have to pop yeah. up. Usually, usually you stumble upon one, but you don't mean to, and then, oh no, yep, there's a dragon here. Uh, now we've got to deal with that. That's always good fun. Um, mate, I've got a bone to pick with you before we get started. Oh please do. Yeah, I'm actually um I'm 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 hurt and mm-hmm. um yep. upset. Yep. And to be honest, I don't know how I can ever trust you again. Yep. Because mm-hmm. this morning I got a notification from the We Speak common Twitter that yep. someone had liked our tweet and I thought, well that's odd. I I didn't tweet anything this morning. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, because I'm a man of pride, I'm not going to delete your tweet. I'm going to leave it up. So if you want to go and see what I'm talking about, you can scroll down on our Twitter feed. You'll find it. But, yeah. I mean... T- I, would call it, I would call it sort of postmodern abstract art is what I would call that tweet. I would, um, I would call it um, just... Uh, what, what's the word? Uh, I, I don't know what to call it, to be honest, mate. I really don't. You've, you've, you've made me look a fool, but... Uh, <laughs> No, I don't think so. I think what I'm what I've demonstrated there is a a, a unique practicality that you've found. What of a bald yeah. head? Well, I mean, I'm sure you could do it with hair as well. Probably, you know. Probably, there's a, you know, I mean, basically what we're referring to is I just I just highlighted a nice little unique uh, bit of flair that that Ben brings to the table when he DMs. Mm. Uh, you should check it out. It's uh, it's very interesting, and I you know I took the opportunity to make it into a meme, which I think is a uh, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, I'm pretty sure you gave me inspiration for that Ben when that happened in real life. So yeah, because um, I thought you've only, thought, got, yourself to, you've only thought, got yourself to blame. Oh, it will it will stick with our group. It'll be a little fun thing that that made us all get through a, a tough encounter. You know, we were slogging through a fight and you cheered everyone up. So yeah, fair enough. But when you put it in front of 675 people, it's a little mm-hmm. bit different. But now we can cheer up 675 people, Ben. Think about that. Think of the joy you're bringing to the world. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, you're on thin ice, mate. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> And and we are playing. We actually are playing D and D tomorrow for the first oh, time in like a month and a half. No, it's not been that long. Soon. It has. It's it's been at least a month since we've played Dragon Heist. Yeah, we've played my campaign since then, though. Yeah, well, yeah, once or twice. Yeah, okay, fair. But um, I'm looking forward to that. I mean, I shouldn't I shouldn't talk about it too much because there is still time for someone to cancel. It is tomorrow. Um. But that should be good fun. And some more weird meme opportunities will probably pop up because we haven't played in a while, so we'll all be a bit giddy. 
I hope so. I hope so. I mean, I am looking forward to that one because obviously, big Ooh. big moments to be had next session. Something just fell over in my wardrobe. Oh, that's nice. Did you hear that? I did actually hear that. Yeah. I think it was. Um... Oh, it's okay. It's not a ghost. It was my belt. <laughs> I put my belt over the top of my wardrobe rail, and it's just fallen down. Thanks for that commentary. Just see. Sorry. Nice. Okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want you to think there was like shit going on in my house. I don't know. I was worried you thought I wasn't listening Why would to I you. Care what's going on in your I house? I don't know, Joe. I want to please you because I don't want you to oh. post memes of me. <laughs> Look, you can't fight the inevitable. No, but, um, no, I can't. Oh, also, I just wanted to bring up as well because uh, last week or I don't know sometime in the past what is time um, we were talking about the uh, <laughs> a concept the, ma- the Magus from uh, Pathfinder yeah and I was like you know I, I'd briefly read over it because uh, it sort of dropped on me and I was like okay the spell strike thing that seems pretty cool you can put like a touch cast spell on your sword attack right mm-hmm. so you know you're getting that gish feeling well actually it's better than that because you can essentially do like two weapon fighting but Instead of having two weapons, you just wield a sword and a spell. So you take a minus to hit to your like your your sword swing and your your spell attack, and you can just do both on the same turn. So really, what you could actually then do is cast a spell, swing your sword, and then when that sword hits, also cast a touch spell. Now, see that's very cool. So what you're saying is they are an actual gish. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, obviously, I don't think that would work so much in Five E, just because. Well, I don't. Yeah, know, I mean, you be, know, I don't know. Uh, yeah, the balance would be interesting. Um, I think we'd have to build it to test it to to see whether it works or not. Yeah, I think that um, maybe it, it might have to be slightly more limited. I mean, there is a penalty for doing it. It's a minus two, which is not insignificant to uh you know to hit so you might you're unlikely to maybe hit everything when you start doing that mm. but then again i don't know yeah i mean you'd have to you choose when you see like okay this guy's got really high ac maybe i'm not going to go for the big massive wombo combo here uh, <laughs> or maybe i'll just try and get that touch attack uh, shocking grasp off so i was reading about it and people were saying that, like shocking grasp is pretty much the best spell to do that with at least in pathfinder because um, then once you level up, you're doing like an extra 66 damage or whatever. Mm. Uh, shocking grass damage on top of your normal sword attack. So, yeah, I just I just want to gish you, man, because I, I feel like this is it. This is kind of what we wanted. Mm. It's just a case of like bringing it over and uh, making it make sense. I, I think it's also balanced in a way that as well that... Um, when you cast spells in Pathfinder, my Pathfinder knowledge is not great, but just from the rough bit I've read, uh, there's many more options where you, or many more times where like a concentration check will be required. It's you don't just take con checks like when you get hit and you're concentrating on a spell. You actually take concentration checks in the casting of a spell. So, say if you were like riding vigorously on a horseback, you would uh, probably have to make a concentration check to make sure you're not like jostled around in the casting yeah um and i presume that would be the same if you're trying to swing a sword and and cast a spell at the same time so that would be a another balancing thing to look out for which obviously you wouldn't have in D. Mm. so yeah i don't know just food for thought really on that one um i mean we could seems pretty cool we could try and port it across ourselves or 
we could ask one of the amazing people that listens to the podcast who has probably more experience building classes than us, because there's got to be someone out there to give it a go and send it to us. I mean, that sounds wonderful. I love to do sort of minimal, yeah, minimal effort, yeah, yeah, on, uh, on this show, really. So, and if they be, if they actually built a really good class, maybe we get them on and and talk about it with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that yeah, that would be actually great. That'd because, be really great. Uh, yeah, I I mean, I must assume there's got to be like. I've not really looked, to be honest, but if you go on like DM skill, there's got to be like a Gish class. Yeah, there's got to be. There'll be one somewhere. There's there's always something floating around the internet that someone's built that we could plagiarize. <laughs> <laughs> we don't do that. We don't do that. But but there will be something somewhere. I just haven't had a proper good look. But if anyone wants to try and port the Magus across and um, have a chat about it, I'd, I'd be up for that completely. Actually, speaking of people as well, I did, I did want to say... Um, I posted uh, last week's episode into Reddit like I usually do and our favourites over at the DMs toolkit were just popping off and being lovely people um, and they continue to be. So I just wanted to let you know, Joe, that uh, Superfly Homeboy, uh, mm-hmm. Noah Does D&D nice. and Supreme Salt Boy have mm-hmm. uh, all said that they love the show and to keep up the good work and... Uh, and thanks for the topic about, you know, what to do when your session just is not very good and how to go over it. So there you go, Jay. Some appreciation for you, mate. All right. I hope I hope they all took my advice to just quit and never try. I again. really hope not. Yeah. I really hope not. Mm-hmm. Um what else is going on at the moment? I've been invited into a play by post D and D Discord group. That's fun. That is fun. I need to create a character. Um and then the guy who invited me is someone who listens to the podcast actually. Um he uh, he's thinking of running the new adventure Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, which I think comes out or it comes out like next week. So it's probably out by the time people are listening. So I think it's out on the 15th. So it's probably out now if you're listening after release day. Um, but he's thinking of running that. So that could be an interesting experience. I've never done that before. I've never done play by post and I'm I'm keen to give it a go and see what it's like. Yeah, I was offered to do like a Star Wars game uh, variant of that sort of thing, but um, I ended up not doing that in the end. But it does it does sound pretty uh, pretty interesting. It's it's like a almost like a text adventure at that point. Yeah, and I showed it. I showed because um, obviously on on the Discord server they've got all these different um, uh, chat rooms for you know each different adventure, or or if you just want to go in and role play as your character in a tavern or something, which is quite fun, and. Uh, I was looking through them. I was showing Phoebe, and she said, "Oh, it's it's like you're all writing a book together rather than playing T and D." And I said, "Yeah, it's a pretty pretty fun way of looking at it, I suppose." Um, yeah, yeah, it's like a. Well, I suppose it's like collaborative storytelling, but everything you do is then permanently sort of inscribed on the page, just there and then. <laughs> yeah, and you could go back and read through it all from start to beginning, start yeah, to you end. You just have like a, a constant text log of your D and D adventures. Well, I will. Um, I'll let you know how it goes. I'm. Um, I'm thinking I might build a fighter. I've never played a fighter before. Yeah. What subclass would you play? I've not got that far. <laughs> I'm not sure yet. <laughs> not sure yet. Um, have you got any? What, what What would you say? You're You're good at building. Well, I don't know. What sort of uh, fighter do you want to make? I mean, a fighter's nice and malleable. You can go many different ways with it. I'm playing around the idea of running a sort of. Um, monster hunter bounty hunter kind of guy because that kind of fits quite well with the 
theme of ten towns in um, Icewind Dale, uh, which is obviously where the adventure's set, and maybe making him quite good at survivally checky kind of tracky kind of things for hunting people down, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Hey, what weapon are you going to use? I'm th- primarily. I'm thinking sword, but I could I could go for something a little bit more exciting. So mm-hmm. I don't. Th- it's going to be melee. Yeah, I don't think I want to go bow. I don't want to go ranged. Mm, okay. Well, there's plenty of things you can do there. I would say. I mean, I, I still sort of subscribe to the fact that Battle Master is one of the best, but I think that. I don't know. Th- even thematically, e- even if you can do it mechanically, like uh, you know, a lot of its maneuvers and things just seem to make more sense with like humans, mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. being the victims of them as opposed to big creatures and stuff. Uh, I would say Echo Knight's pretty pretty awesome. You have like that magical flare, uh, and it's also like the most powerful subclass uh, for fire in the game. Okay, it's just so ridiculously immensely good <laughs> like just you chuck like sentinel on there and oh my goodness Mwah. beautiful it's wonderful like, we're doing at least one chef kiss every week at the moment what is going on <laughs> i don't know i don't know it's good though basically the echo knight you can essentially make like a copy of yourself you can do this an unlimited amount of times yeah so if it dies it has like one hp but if it dies it doesn't matter you should bring it back and you can do attacks through it mm-hmm. uh and so Essentially, you just stand in the back with your wizard or whatever. We stand on a roof or whatnot, and you just make make your echo knight appear, and you just get him to hit things for you, and you're like completely safe. You can later on, you can like swap places with the echo knight as well, so you have like maneuverability, which is pretty cool. Mm. Um, honestly, the wild mount subclasses, I don't think we're for through all that much because <laughs> there are many many exploits with them mm-hmm. <laughs> like they are not as cleanly integrated i don't think as or as v- rigorously play tested as some of the other ones mm-hmm. because there's i mean especially with the uh chronomancy wizard that is just oh broken yeah there's a lot of stuff there a lot of stuff there oh. should we... we actually talk about this week then yeah well, well I was just thinking that's actually quite a good little we're so chilled out today that was such a good little um little segue because we are going to talk about classes today so um last week you mentioned prestige classes to me and I said that I too would like to see some form of prestige class brought back into fifth edition obviously they they came in in third edition and I don't think they were around in fourth I think they got dropped but I could be wrong um and I didn't know this existed until literally, like, last night, I think. I found the UA, the Unearthed Arcana, for prestige classes and rune magic. Now, this is this is the this is the caveat. There's only one in the Unearthed Arcana. And, I mean, we'll get into it, but I don't think you're very impressed. But then I also found a Reddit post on the D&D Next Reddit that's been popping off. It's got a lot of traction for, I think is a group of people. I'm not quite sure. They refer to themselves as we, so I'm assuming it's um it's a group uh, called D&D Unleashed. Now, you can go and find this on Reddit right now and fully giving these people um, all of the credit for this because they are building three, f- three, the number three, free, as in you don't pay for them, um, supplements 
that uh, one of them builds around prestige classes. Now, they haven't finished yet, so there's only a couple on their website as a kind of proof of concept, but we can have a look at those, and then I just did some Googling and found what people are making. So I thought we could have a look at them all, talk about them, and then maybe talk about how we'd make a prestige class. Mm. Sound good? Yeah, no, it sounds good. I mean, I did read through the... uh the rune scribe class yes the unearthed arcana so my understanding is so there's quite a few prerequisites actually well yeah well 13 this is the thing 13 decks you you have to oh god it's bloody gone away so you have to um you have to hit prerequisites for, for prestige classes and and i this is why i like them these are i think the maximum amount of levels a prestige class can give you is five but I guess you could change that if you wanted to. The idea being you take it when you hit all the prerequisites and it gives you a special flavor, a special prestige, <laughs> surprisingly, um, to add on to your character, something that not many other people have. And it's basically multi-classing, and that's how they've built it in the UA. It's, it just uses the multi-classing rules in the PHB, which, again, why would you not multi-class? Um, unless you don't know what you're doing and you, you're intimidated by it but you just learn over time and um yeah i mean that kind of sums it up hit the prerequisites Mm. get five special levels with special abilities and stuff that you wouldn't normally be able to get and you become a little special snowflake yeah and it's interesting because of all these prestige classes you're gonna essentially pretty much always have like a 15 5 split Mm -hmm. uh, like a multi-class you're essentially a prestige class is just a class you multi-class into, but you have to hit prerequisites for it first. Yeah. So for, for this room one, you need a 13 dex, 13 intelligence, proficiency in arcana, uh, being level five, and then you need to do a, like a narrative special task uh, so that would be in your game. Uh, so that's interesting. So, so you expect the abilities to be of at least sort of six level power and above, right? Because mm-hmm. that's when you're going to actually be gaining access to them. And so the rune scribe essentially allows you to take full access of these magic items, these which are like called master runes. Anyone can use these, even if you're not part of the, the class, but to get access to all of their abilities and to sort of optimize your use of them, you want to take uh, this prestige class. And so what you can then do is you can get access to these runes. And as you level up, you can get more and more of the the abilities of the runes. You can have more variety in what runes you do. You also get spell slots, um, which seem to have the the normal progression of say like first to fifth level spells, Mm -hmm. but they add, they add on to your, your other spell slots, just like anything else. So you're essentially taking full caster levels when you take this prestige class. Uh, and it's a D8, which is, I guess, kind of middle of the road, really. Um, I don't think it's that particularly powerful. Now, I have briefly read through it. So, like, for instance, if we take the freezing room. Now, bear in mind, each of these runes you take uh, or use, and later on in the class you get an ability where you can create, essentially create the effect of these runes without actually having them. Mm-hmm. So you don't actually have to find the magic item in the world. But they still take an attunement slot, right? So they're cutting into your magic item use, uh, which may be a big deal in some games if you're getting lots of magic items. may not be a big deal at all if you get hardly any in your game. 
that would be dependent. But I would say generally on average, or I think how most people play, people get a few magic items, you know, over the first 10 levels or whatever. Mm-hmm. So maybe by about level 11 or whatnot, you might be able to max out your achievement slots uh, and whatnot. So it's it will be cutting into that. You'll be taking these abilities at the expense of something else from other magic items. And so if you take like the ice room, so to start off with, as an action, you can scribe the rune onto a surface, freezes it in a 10-foot radius around the spot where you scribe the rune. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a utility thing. Yep. I presume that would be the sort of ability you could probably use even if you weren't part of the rune scribe class. Yeah, because there's, um, there's three simple properties and three complex properties for each rune. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then like the simple ones, like you you can get uh, resistance to fire damage, which is pretty cool. Um and then you can essentially create like a freezing mantle so you can reduce the damage of the next hit against you uh, to zero mm-hmm. uh, just by creating this like ice shield. So those, yeah, pretty cool. Um, but again, my understanding is you could do all that without actually having the class. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the complex properties, you can essentially make someone make a, a saving throw, which is a DC 12 plus the level of the expended slot, spell slot. So... That's kind of interesting. Obviously, this class only goes up to second level... No, third level spell slots. Mm -hmm. But Um, if you're multi-classing and you have other spell slots at your disposal that line up with these, you can use those too, right? Yeah, you could upcast it. But, you know, if you're multi-classing from, say, like just a standard fighter into this, you're probably not going to have that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so basically, on a failure, the creature takes 2d8 cold damage plus 1d8 per level of the expanded spell slot. So it's kind of like a... Well, it's actually the exact same damage as a smite. Um, but kind of weak because you don't get any weapon damage on top of it like you would a smite, right? It takes an action, whereas a smite is just a, f- a, a free action you can do on top of a, a hit, um, like sneak attack would be or whatever, and it's guaranteed. You only activate your smite when you know you've hit someone. So like... And this obviously costs resources just like um, smites do in terms of spell slots. So not like the best thing in the world. Uh, and then the next one, you can create some like ammunition for a weapon, which turns it from piercing, slashing, bludgeoning into cold damage. Mm-hmm. Which is, again, like circumstantially useful if you're trying to get around certain resistances, etc. Um and then when you return to the room, you can class cast Sleet Storm as an action. I mean, Sleet Storm's a, an okay spell, I guess. Um, like, And so the abilities you get from the actual class itself, like I say, you get access to these runes without actually f- discovering them in the world. You get some sort of utility for what you would do for what runes you have access to. You can kind of change that a little bit. Mm, you gain things then, like proficiencies and... Um... Uh, saving throws and things with these classes as well. This one doesn't give you any saving throws, but you do gain other stuff other than just... Like, you get your normal class features that you would as well. We should say that. Yeah. And then, like, one other class feature is essentially you can up one of your ability scores by two or two ability scores by one, and you can change that on a uh, long rest. Yep. Which, I mean, that's fairly strong. That's essentially having, like, a free ASI mm-hmm. uh, that you can change a lot of the time, which is... Pretty cool, I guess. And then you can essentially have one of the ore runes not take up an attunement slot as like sort of the capstone. At fifth level. Would I rather would I rather take five levels of this than 
another class? Probably not. Mm-hmm. I don't think. Um, I mean, I like the idea. I just don't see, like, if I'm going to be going into a prestige class, it means I have to have built my character in a certain way to re- meet those prerequisites, right? Yeah. And so it takes a little bit of forethought, a bit of planning. So you would kind of expect to be rewarded, right? Not necessarily mechanically super powerful, but at least with something very fitting and whatnot Mm -hmm. to those prerequisites. I get the point that you're kind of like a magical tinkerer here. You have these runes that you sort of create or tinker with. Like That's why you sort of need the arcana skill to be able to understand the lore of it. I get all that, but it doesn't feel that thematically resonant to anything, really. Mm. Um, There are no specific class prerequisites, which I thought is kind of the main draw really in a uh like like kind of way back in the day like second edition where you know if you wanted to be a bard you needed to be a thief first Mm -hmm. um because essentially like back in the day like a rogue was just someone who wanted to make lots of money and you could do that through stealing or through performance yeah all right and then so that's how the prerequisite works so and then bard was actually typically a bit more powerful than other classes because you had to go through a bunch of rigmarole to get access to it i don't know if i would want to do that with this it just doesn't feel yeah i i I see where you're coming from and I, i agree what i think this document is good for is setting up a system to show you uh a sort of bare bones or albeit weak uh, how to build a prestige class? Like I like, mm. I like mm. the setting up. I like that it's like that. Like, you need to have these prerequisites. Here's kind of a lowdown of how we would do a fifth level class. Yeah, it's just not a very good one, but it still breaks it down for you. Um, I don't hate the idea behind the UA Rune Scribe class. The, I think in theory it could be really cool. Like it could fit quite cool onto an artificer. It's I mean that doesn't change that it's not you know that it's weak and it's not amazing. But it, the idea of it in my brain, I'm like yeah that could be a cool prestige class. That kind of hits what I'm looking for. It's something unique, different that you have to do other things to get into. Um, mm. I'm not sure if I'd like or dislike the locking them behind certain classes like they did in second edition. I don't know if that's something that I would be into. Um, But I do like the, you have to do something in game. You have to have this level. You have to have this proficiency and you have to have these skill numbers. That makes sense to me. What I would say though, is if we were going to do RuneScribe, we'd have to, we'd have to beef it. We'd have to change it around. But that's why I brought up this Reddit post that I found, this D&D Unleashed website and what they're doing so we'll we'll have a look at them and then we'll have a look at some of the other ones that i've just found floating around the inter- internet that i don't have sources for i've just sort of found um because there is this thing where you search prestige class and you don't really get anything unless you look in the right places so it's fun to see what other people are doing with these um do you want to i tell you, what, you you pick joe and then i'll go into it do you want to look at leader or do you want to look at guardian have a look at the uh, Guardian. Okay. So this is the D&D Unleashed guys. They've created two prestige classes so far. 
and I think they're, I've got in my head that they're making like four, I could be wrong, so they could be making more. The Guardian is another fifth level prestige class, this is a non-spellcasting prestige class, Um, and to break it down, your prerequisites are Constitution 15, be a character of sixth level, um, and have either extra attack or a shield proficiency. You're getting yourself a D10 in hit in hit dice added into your pool. You don't get any tool proficiency, saving throws, or skills, um, and you don't get any special equipment. So five levels, five abilities. The fourth being fourth level being your ability score improvement. Each prestige class of fifth level seems to come with that. You get mark attacks and ability marks. They're kind of the built-in around this. So first level bonus to damage rolls of any opportunity attack that you make, which is equal to your con modifier. Um, you get uh, your grit impresses those in need of protection. So when you make a charisma check, you can, uh, that, that influences a humanoid, as long as it's humanoid, you're fine, um, that's missing any hit points, you gain a bonus to roll your uh, to roll that's equal to your constitution modifier. So you can, you're, you're building on this kind of big burly aesthetic. Guardian's Mark you get a first level and you get more as you level. And this is you learning how to excel at uh, foiling attacks and protecting your uh, your allies. So you're becoming basically Captain America. You're using a shield. Um, when you deal damage to a creature using a spell, if you're coming in from a spell casting class, uh, an effect that replicates a spell if you're using a magic item or something like Channel Divinity, you can mark... A creature that was in 30 feet of you that can see and hear you the mark last until the end of your next turn um and then you just can't mark any more creatures in that way um because you've you only do it once um they have disadvantage on any attack roll that doesn't target you if it targets your ally um it ends if you are incapacitated or die or if someone else marks the creature if you i don't know if you've got two of these guys in your pie um, they also, uh, if a creature marked by you deals damage to anyone other than you, um, you can make a melee weapon attack against them using your reaction. So it's like a free bonus. And then it kind of builds on top of that. So as you level up, it all becomes about taking that mark, protecting others and making it stronger. So you get particular styles of defending. You can choose things like my favorite one sacrificial dive which is like get down mr president if they're five feet within you you just dive yeah. and if it hits uh, it hits you regardless of your ac instead of them you can use things like warding magic but you have to be able to cast spells um you get powerful reprisal at third level which is um you you pick out of more techniques so it's this is what i like about this one i'm, I'm not very good at explaining but you you get to sort of dilute it the further you go into different different uh, techniques and different options. So uh, define reprisal when you use uh, this technique, you immediately use your channel divinity or a channel divinity option that would normally require an action or bonus action to activate. And um, it's uh, it also gives you, I think it's a bonus in hit points. You would gain some hit points equal to your con mod and half your level. So like there's fun little things in here that just... I wouldn't have thought of as a as a player as as abilities, and I really like it. There's one that's built around raging. If you've got like barbarian classes in there, there's ones built around, um, as I said, magic. There's ones built around being a fighter and having extra attacks. 
And then the cap of this one at fifth level, um, whenever you hit an opponent, uh, sorry, whenever you hit with an opportunity attack and deal damage to the target, you gain an additional bonus to damage roll equal to your proficiency bonus, and you regain the use of your reaction at the end of that turn. Uh, in addition, when you finish a short rest and roll a hit die, you can choose to re-roll the die and use the new result instead. And finally, when you roll initiative and have no uses of the special attack granted by your guardian mark feature remaining, you regain one of those. So it's pretty cool. I I like this a lot more, uh, and I think this is maybe something I might actually take mm-hmm. uh, if I want to really become like that that tanking guardian class. I think this works really well because, and especially the reprisal ability, because you have many options there, and you can pick one that resonates with the class you are mm-hmm. already. Yes. So some of the, some of them have got prerequisites for step of the wind or a base flying speed. So you know, being like a super mobile monk or an aracocra or, or whatever, right? Someone who's flying around. So you get an ability that synergizes with that. Um, you get lots of other abilities as well like uh, so the, just one like the ability to cast at least one spell so when you use this technique you can immediately cast a spell that normally requires a bonus action or an action as a, to cast and as long as you expend uh, the slot level is not higher than your constitution modifier so it just gives you like a quick little boost to your actual like quote-unquote main class mm-hmm. uh, so it doesn't feel like it's a completely separate thing altogether what I really uh, like about this, especially so, especially when you compare it to the RuneScribe, so I love the fact that you've got all of these options, especially when you get to that third level and you get to kind of that midway point to really um, boost whatever class you came in with. This doesn't feel like, like the RuneScribe feels like it's its own mini class that you just take, but because it's like, it's just its own thing, it doesn't build in synergistically to your other main class whereas this feels like an actual what i would imagine as a prestige it's a bonus that you can fire and point back in towards your main class regardless of what you came in as Mm, yeah no that is exactly what it is and each of the abilities also synergize within themselves quite nicely so obviously you you first of all you get better at dealing damage on reaction attacks, right? And then you get Guardian's Mark. So you mark a creature. Uh, the creature is incentivized then to attack you instead of other people, right? Um, because it's easier for it to hit you, so you're protecting people. But then if it does attack other people, you get a, uh attack of opportunity on it. So then again, it, either w- whatever it does then, you're sort of benefiting from it. You're getting the effect you want. Mm. Uh, then you've got the things like that sacrificial dive, which is, again, another ability for you to um, to protect your allies. You get like a, an extra shield for free, basically, which is quite nice. So I've just noticed again, as well, um, on the so on the page, when you go onto the... D- so the website's dndunleashed.com if you want to check this out. But when you go on the page for this class, the top thing right at the top of the page is a quote. And it's, I'll cover your back the sharp and bloody way. Yeah. And that does that does epitomize the, uh, the, the class. And then you're getting extra hit points because you're naturally going to be taking um, a lot more hits as well. Um, so as a bonus action or reaction, you can take damage from a creature that's marked by you. You can focus your will, go temporary hit points, etc. And then again, we spoke about those reprisal abilities are quite flavorful. And then obviously the uh, 
the capstone is again making you just a lot more tanky and able to do stuff. It all, you also get an ability score improvement in here, mm-hmm. so you're not necessarily slowing down your ASI very much. Whereas you don't get that, I don't think, in the rune um, scribe. So like that's a massive reason not to take that, yeah, because ASIs are really important. And I can I can already see loads of synergies with this. Like I would take maybe a I don't know, like a paladin with this, um, and then but also t- say say paladin polar master with sentinel. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be getting reaction attacks all the time when people come in my range, which is within ten feet. I'm better at doing reaction attacks. I do more damage on them. They're more worthwhile for me. Uh, and then even if they get past that, I can mark them. So I could like attack someone, stop them in their place. They can't do anything that turn, right? Mm-hmm. Because they've moved into my range. I hit them. They're standing still. Uh, I've done that extra bit of damage to them because of the guardian's cooling. And then I mark them. I mark them with that attack. Then they move in. Then they've got a choice. Hit me uh, or hit someone else at disadvantage. And then I get another free reaction on them anyway, uh, which is just wonderful uh and so there's like just combos upon combos here it's just so it just synergizes nicely i think it's a really well-made um class to be honest the fact that you get like shield in there as well that could sort of just becomes part of your spells known but does doesn't count against them yeah i really like the spell reprisal one which is um it, when you use the technique, you immediately cast a spell that normally requires a bonus action or an action to cast as long as the expended spell slot is not higher than your con modifier. So um, it has to affect the targeted, the triggering enemy and affect no other creature except you. So it, it can affect your the person you're targeting and you, but no one else. You can't do like a fireball. But as long as your con modifier is high enough, if you've got a plus five con modifier, that's a free fifth level spell by using that technique. Yeah, and you can essentially do it as a, as a reaction because how these activate is when you see a creature within 60 feet, if you take uh, uh, deals damage to a creature other than you, mm. so like when one of your allies uh, successfully performs an attack or whatever, then you can activate one of those things. What that basically. feels like to me, in, in a weird way, is like when you're... For it, specifically for this class, I would say, is that the when a, when a creature does um, a legendary action, you're kind of getting your own legendary action and that's so cool. Sorry, I just got really confused because someone started washing the window that I'm looking at. And I was like, what is that noise? Um, no, it's, it's all right. It's all right. The window washes here. No one's breaking in. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize you get two of these as well. Yeah. So you could do one for your channel divinity and one for, um, I don't know, just another ability that you have or whatever. I love this. Cool. And I think I, we have to give massive props to these guys. I'll definitely be keeping an eye on them um, because this feels like what I want a prestige class to be. Um, but I did go and have a Google and have a look around to see what other people are doing because, you know, you've got to see what's going on out there. And I did find some. But before we dive into one that I think you're either going to you're going to love this or you're going to hate it, Joe. And I think you're going to hate it. But I kind of like the idea before we jump into it. Bit of a tease. Uh, Dice Dungeon. 
We are incredibly lucky to be partnered with some really cool guys. The Dice Dungeon are um, UK-based. They sell metal and resin-based dice, and you can buy a set of dice that Joe and I helped name and build the law for. And Joe, you asked me a couple of weeks ago if the law was going to be written down anywhere for someone to go and read. It is. It's on the website right now on the Carilla Golden Dice page. So if you want to go and read the full story, it is there for you to go and have a look at. Um, and Joe, I have your set of dice here. They have arrived. Well, no, mate. Yeah, I need to get round there and uh, pick those up. Yeah, you know. yeah. Um, for sure. They are so pretty. Um, and I need to take some photos. I know I keep saying it. <laughs> I keep saying it, but I need to take some photos. Um, but yeah, so yeah. go and buy some dice. Go and treat yourself. Get some nice, pretty dice and get 10% off if you use the code we speak common. I mean, honestly, what other use do you have for bartering currency? You know, mm. really nothing. Why would you need nothing money in life? Exactly. Just for buying dice. Exactly. When you could have the dice and then, you know, sure, you might not eat that day. You know, uh, you, know you might go default on your rent, but does it matter? You have metal dice. No. Just think about it. Because when you're homeless on the streets, you can roll your dice on the on the cobblestones and maybe people will give you cash because they'll think you're crazy and they'll feel pitiful for you. Exactly. I mean, look, it, people feel pitiful for me all the time, right? It's a great feeling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I do, um, I should say as well, we are hoping to get the guys from Dice Dungeon on an episode soon. Um, we're trying to sort something out, so fingers crossed, hopefully that'll happen. And if not, I've just put it out into the universe and it didn't happen, so I look like a fool, but never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. We've never looked like a fool before, so no, I'm worried about no, too much. never, never at all. So this prestige class that I found on the internet which is always what you want to hear as a DM, isn't it? Hi, DM, I found this on the internet. Can I do it, please? And then usually you cry because it's awful. Um, but it is the prestige class of the Lich. Yeah, okay. So here are your prerequisites, right? This is Intelligence 13, Constitution 13. You must be of a living race, so not already undead. You have to have the ability to cast at least 5th level spells. You have to be at least level 10. And then you have to complete the special task. Because, you know, liches and all that. It's a 5th mm-hmm. level uh, prestige class. You get yourself um, 1d8 hit die per level. You get no saving throws, no skills. And it doesn't grant any special equipment. You start with two first level spells, which becomes three, which then becomes four with two second, four with three second, and then caps off at four first level, three second level, and two third level. You do gain cantrips as well. So you start off with three known cantrips and then four. Let me break this down for you. Let me break it down for you. First level, you have to have undergone the necessary rituals to transcend from your mortal shell into a lich. Um, Your type changes to undead, obviously. All spells and effects that would apply to undead creatures now apply to you. And as an undead, you do not need to breathe or sleep. You cannot suffocate and you do not age. You gain immunity to poison, you know, all the undead things. You are immune to diseases and the poison condition. Additionally, you get yourself dark vision to 60 feet. Or if you've already got dark vision... Its range is increased to sixty feet, um, uh, by 50, by sixty feet. Sorry, to a maximum of one hundred and twenty. So, if you've already got dark vision, you basically get superior dark vision. And then you have to construct your phylactery 
before you can gain any class features from the prestige class and it has some rules on that um, it, it tells you what a phylactery is if you don't know it holds the lich's soul uh, in order to craft it you have to spend 10 days and 8,000 gold the cost covers gems metals incense alchemical ingredients etc etc um, and the brewing of the potion of transformation once completed, you perform the ritual of lichdom, your body dies, turns into a withered husk. You know, all the fun things that you would want. Um, and it cannot be subject to the animate dead spell or any other similar magic effects should dead your body, your husk, your old shell. You rise as an undead lich within 10 feet of your phylactery. Your phylactery can be, I mean, whatever you want, basically a small box, a gemstone with runes or whatever. Um... I mean, you know liches, you know what they do. Should you be reduced to zero hit points and you die, your lich body crumbles to dust and in 1d10 days it reforms within 10 feet of your phylactery. Your phylactery must be intact in order for you to return if your phylactery has been destroyed. Which stuff, you know, you don't reform. Um, you cannot be, be brought back by normal means like resurrection or revivify. And if your phylactery is caught in the area of anti-magic, such as one created by an anti-magic field spell, the lich cannot reform. It's trapped inside the phylactery until it's removed or the field dissipates. So that's kind of your, um, your, all the work you have to do before you get into it. And before I say anything, I would say that I think that's really key because I know so many people, I have had players say to me, I'll be a lich one day. And I'm like, well, that's quite difficult to do. Um, it does break down the phylactery in terms of hit points. So they have 40 hit points. Obviously, it's immune to things like Poison Psychic because it's, an, it's a, um, an item. It's not a living thing. Uh, you can cast things like Non-Detection or Nostal's Magic Aura on the phylactery to hide it. You know, basically, your DM will let it be creative if they're a nice DM. You always know where it is. You immediately become aware if it's in danger. Um and be i like this being an obsessive lich you may use an action to peer over your phylactery to make sure that it is safe you gain blind sight to 10 feet centered on your phylactery for up to one minute so you can just check in on it whenever you want um <laughs> while looking over your phylactery you cannot move sense uh, and you cannot take other actions except using an action to end the effect early should your phylactery be destroyed you are stunned for 1d4 rounds and you can take and then you take any remaining damage dealt to it. So say they deal 50 damage to the phylactery, you get stunned for 1d4 rounds, and then you take the 10 hit point damage to yourself. So you don't die makes, instantly. Makes sense. Makes sense, I guess. Uh, a lich without a phylactery is in great peril every moment that you go without one. Um, so you may go a number of days without a phylactery equal to your intelligence modifier, minimum of one, plus your lich class level, after which point you may crumble to dust or disintegrate into a demi-lich should your phylactery be destroyed you may rebuild it by spending another 10 days and another 8,000 gold um, then there's a little sub box about how to feed your phylactery um, you know using things like the imprisonment smell and then your actual bonuses um, you gain undying fortitude you have advantage on saving throws against the effect that turns undead. Additionally, you gain resistance to necrotic damage. That's at second level. You also get paralyzing touch at second level. As an action, you can touch them. You make a spell attack. Um, you roll against... If you hit, you deal 1 to 10 cold damage. It's paralyzing touch. You know how it works. Uh, at third level... Yeah, but hang on. Okay, hang go on. on. Hang on. So, I've read through it, yeah. You were talking about it there. I had a little read Such a quick reader. I had a look at the, the abilities. Okay. Um, 
Now, the paralyzing touch thing, you can't just, uh, you know, go over that or like that. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, you do 1d10 damage, right? Yeah. You make a spell attack roll. So, presumably, you're going to be a spellcaster going into this. As a lich, yeah, uh, 100. Pre- prestige class, yeah. right? So, you, you've got a good chance of hitting. It's a bit risky because you've got to get in melee. But if you hit and they fail their save, uh, they are paralyzed. Well, yeah, it's paralyzing For touch. a number of rounds equals your intelligence modifier. Paralyzed. The most debilitating <laughs> uh, condition in the game. Any attack against you is a critical hit. Yeah. So it can... Uh, and it's saying it can redo the same throw at the end of each of its turns, ending it on a success. Nothing about taking damage gives it a save. So you paralyze something, and then the rest of your party just wail on it, getting instant crits. Right, but remember that you you have, at this point, you are now 12th level. So how does that balance out against 12th level characters? Well, I don't know, Ben. Even if a 12th level character, you just walk up to the boss and paralyze it, and then everyone just hits it with instant crits. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> That's uh, pretty good. You can only can do it am- once as well per short rest. I mean, yeah, I guess it's uh, pretty. No, no, pretty it does strong. say the creature may repeat the save at the end of each of its turns. Yeah, but not when it takes damage. So you paralyze it, yeah, and then you have your paladin and your rogue and your fighter all hit it, all get crits. Right. Okay. Yeah, for one round minimum. Right, yeah. but if the paladin hits it and he drops his biggest smite on it, which is doubled, and then the rogue hits it, and then they also double their sneak attack damage. Yeah, but as a DM, you know, you've got a responsibility to build up against what your characters are playing. I mean, being able to paralyze stuff is really, really difficult in 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 D&D as a, as a rule. Like, the only ways I can think about it are, like, the hold person spell and the hold monster spell. Yeah. As soon as they take damage, uh, they either get a save or I think it's, I think it's just broken, right? Mm-hmm. So you get like one free crit. Mm-hmm. So so would you then? I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't have this. I'm just saying it's would you got would you rebuild it to to say? Nah, I don't know. Okay, I don't know because like so the prerequisites. All right, um, where are they? Prerequisites. Blah, blah, blah. Here we go. Um, so intelligence yeah, 13, I'm... constitution 13, must be living, ability to cast 5th level spells, 10th level, and then complete the task. So yeah, you've got to be character level 10th. Um, I, there are some downsides to this, right? Because so generally, I'd say it's mostly going to be wizards that are like going for this, right? I mean, yeah, I, I know um, a wizard that would be interested. So the downside is this completely fucks up your spell progression. Because... Yeah, you get spell slots, right? Um, so you get these spell slots. It's essentially, I assume it runs similar to like the multi-classing rule. So if you yeah. already have spell levels, you're essentially getting, you're not slowing down your progression in that it's not full caster levels, right? Mm-hmm. But you are slowing down your progression in that you're not getting access to higher level spells. So yeah, you have a ninth level spell slot, but you don't have ninth level spells. You're never going to get ninth level spells with this because you, the mac. If you wanted to still get ninth level spells, you would have to only take three levels of this class, and then you would only get your ninth level spell when you're actually at twentieth level. Uh, hang on. 
because you get ninth level spell slots at seventeenth level. Yeah, and then and then there was when you would if you went just straight wizard, you would get access to ninth level spells. But with this, even though you'll still get your ninth level spell slot at seventeenth level, you've slowed down your actual unlocking of wizard spells by five levels. Right. Yeah, I see what you mean. So you will never you will you will only ever get access up to I think maybe eighth level spells from the wizard spell list. Hang on, how um, does that work though? Let me remind myself. Yeah, that's how it works because that's the downside oftentimes of multiclassing is that you actually have higher level spell slots than you have spells. Right. Uh, so you end up having to upcast or pick spells that benefit from upcasting mm-hmm. uh, to make use of those higher level spell slots. Or, so if um, you take if you take all five levels in Lich, what's the highest level spell you're going to get eighth? Uh, let me have a look. I'd have to look at the wizard uh, progression. So you need to get... Yeah, so you get eighth level spells at 15th level. Okay. So you would get you would get eighth level spells. But eighth level spells are not that great, to be honest. And what are you missing out on ninth level? Wish. I mean, Wish, Meteor Storm, Prismatic Wall, um, Gate, Shape Change, Mass Polymorph, True polymorph, just you know the most broken abilities in the game. I mean, yeah, okay, fair. What else do you get on this? What do you get through the prestige? Though, is there anything that that balances that well, out? That's what I'm looking. I'm looking at what point. So, would you want to dip third out level, of you get or of despair. Third level, your magical presence wards off your enemies by sapping at their will. You get frightening gaze, which is. Frightening people, yeah. and you get phylactery magic, the magic that you bought forth to empower your phylactery. No, so phylactery magic you get at fourth level. Oh yeah, I see. Yeah, sorry. That's looking at the progression. Yeah. Okay. Fair. So, so uh, third level is not great. So essentially, phylactery magic is like an ASI increase. Um, similar. When you end your long rest, you gain. Yeah, you increase the score yeah. by two or two by one. So similar to the what we were saying about the guardian, which is. Which is interesting. So that could be kind of good, but as a wizard, you're probably not too bothered about it because no, you're, you're not that mad. Probably they, already um, up quite high character. anyway. Yeah, you're not that multi-attribute dependent as other classes. Um, and then the mastery one, I don't think the one you get at fifth level is not that big a deal because you essentially just get a more powerful undead companion. But it's just so, it's just one guy, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, um, it's useful, handy to have. And then you also get aura of death. Anyone within ten feet of you, when they heal, only get half their HP. That's like super circumstantial. Yeah, and yep, yep, yep. Like enemies generally don't do much healing in combat. So what are you thinking then? Dip out at level two. Level three, probably. Would you take well, level three because you're getting aura of despair and frightening gaze? Well, aura of despair. So. Yeah, I th- I would say so because that's kind of a nice ability. So essentially, um, all hostile creatures within ten feet of you have disadvantage on saving throws, right? Mm-hmm. And then frightening gaze as part of a spell attack, you can pick a creature that affected by the spell. So if it affects multiple creatures, this spell like a fireball, you can pick some one person within that. They have to make a save, which if they're within ten feet of you, will be at disadvantage. Uh, if not, they're frightened, and then they can um. You know, they have to run away from you and stuff. So that's kind of a nice ability. Depends. The only difference is you would then get your um, ninth level spell at... You'd essentially be taking your 17th level in wizard 
at 19th instead of 20th. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you would get... It depends what you get for 18th level wizard. Maybe that might be worthwhile. Yeah, you get spell mastery. So I probably would actually take maybe just two levels of that class mm-hmm. and 18 in wizard is probably what I would But if do. you want it to be a lich, I mean, it does it for you. Um Okay. Yeah, you get all the good. I think you. Get, I think it's really front loaded with all the good stuff you get. And the whole fact is, like, you can't die anyway. You get that whole not dying thing, mm-hmm. which is kind of the point because you because you have a phylactery and whatnot. That's kind of the point of being a lich. So there is a there is a, a different lich variant, but um, I would probably use this if my players want to become a lich. I would be like, okay, here are the abilities that like this is what you could potentially get from mm-hmm. it. Seems fairly well balanced i would say like i say the whole paralyzing thing is maybe a little bit too good maybe have it so it deactivates when the creature gets hit yep. that may actually be the case that may just be well, that's what i was thinking condition. yeah but i i don't i'm not sure normally it specifies that within the spell or effect i'll have a look so but i think this is actually fairly well constructed actually um okay okay it's not not too bad. I feel like it was going to be horribly broken or just not. <laughs> just because I that said the feels... word lich, wasn't it? Well, it just feels sufficiently powerful. I mean, the the main benefit you're getting here is the fact that you're undead and can't die, or it's like really hard to actually finish you off. Um, that's the main draw, I would say, um, to, of of being a lich, lichdom, right? Mm. And then on top of that. The whole paralyzing touch thing is is pretty nice as well. Okay, so what we've seen there then, we've seen three examples of prestige classes. One which is just not great, which uh, uh, kind of sad that that's the one that was put out by Wizards. But there you go. We saw Guardian, which we thought was brilliant and a great example of what a prestige class could be. And we've seen this one, which is pretty good, but kind of lacks that reason to stick with it all the way through. I mean, it depends. Like, if you if your campaign's only going up to say fifteenth, you just know you're not going to play past that. Then go for it. It might be it might be worth going ten wizard five lich. But if you're going up to like the high levels, you generally don't want to miss out on ninth level spells. I also as, as well, especially as a, wizard, as a wizard, as a wizard, I would probably for um like roleplay reasons, for fluff reasons, I'd probably want to get to my cap in wizard and then take my lich levels and become a lich to cap off the character mm, yeah that'd be cool so you get to maybe 17th level wizard or 18th level wizard and take a couple levels of, um, of lichdom yeah because i mean what are you getting at that point i mean at a 19th level you get an asi mm-hmm. might not really matter for you at that point and then at 20th level, you're getting the signature spell. So you're essentially getting one free cast of a third level spell and an, one extra spell memorized, mm. which is, well, okay. It's sort of like, it's like, okay. I mean, at that point, you have 25 spells memorized as a wizard. So <laughs> you've got plenty of spells. Um, and then you also get one extra seventh level spell slot, which is kind of good. Seventh level spells are great. It's one of the best spell levels. But paralyzing touch, and you get to be a lich and not die, is also all quite pretty good. good. Yeah, all very, very good. <laughs> okay, I mean, so I'd, I think I'd allow yeah. it. I think I'd let it in. Um, I might, 
make it a little bit trickier story-wise. Like there's that, oh, you have to complete a narrative thing. I might make that a bit of a, a ball ache because it is a lich, but I like it. I'd use it. Mm. What would you want to see as a prestige class? Uh, oof, what would I want to see as a prestige class? Because I want to see things like... Now that thinking about Lich, it'd be interesting to see things like Vampire or Werewolf as prestige classes to give players the abilities to be those kind of creatures rather than just the very loose rulings that are in the Monster Manual. And I'd also like to see things like um, like Bounty Hunter or um, Master Thief, uh, you know, things like that, things that make you better at mm-hmm. specific things as well. Uh, yeah, I would like to see a Paladin one, which is designed for you to take the five levels at 15th level. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an alternative last five levels to Paladin, because I think the last five levels of Paladin are generally a bit lackluster. Um, and I want it to essentially make you like a, like a demigod angel, mm. is sort of the theme. Okay. Uh, you become somewhat of it like a deity in your own right. I think that'd be pretty cool. Definitely some sort of master thief or rogue of some sort, uh, which would be pretty cool. See, these ones, though, like Master Thief and Paladin, they they feed specific into specific classes. So I'd like to see a good mix of ones that are for specific classes. But then they're kind of more like subclasses, I suppose. But I would like to see some that are more well-rounded. Like, you could build a prestige class that was called, like, a cultist, and it could be all about kind of a mix of dark magic and warlocky stuff that you could take as long as you had access to magic Mm. yeah i suppose i mean subclasses essentially did replace prestige classes Mm. that is sort of what they are but the difference is you take them at really low subclasses are essentially prestige classes that you take at really low level Mm. uh that intertwine with your main class as opposed to completely branching off so there is that but yeah i guess i see what you're saying there um having them be a bit more universal just trying to think um i think there would be a cool one for you to become like a uh like a dragon of sorts with a prerequisite of you being a dragonborn that'd be cool um would be pretty cool or at least make you more like a half dragon sort of thing yeah well there's a lot of discussion around the dragonborn not being a great class anyway um but I think race, you mean? Uh, yeah, sorry, yeah, race. Yeah. See, but I mean, I think you can you you just have to change the way the breath weapon works there, and you kind of fix most of the problems. Yeah, that is the problem. It doesn't really scale, does it? It's just like I have seen um, some things that people do around that to make it better. Uh, I can't remember what they are off the top of my head, but I, I read a whole big discussion about it, and I've seen Dragonborn variant races, which are interesting. Um, some of them are good, some of them are a bit over the top, I think, but there are there are options out there, is what I'm trying to say. Hmm. I mean, it seems crazy to me that they, when they brought out, was it in Xanathas, I think, or I, don't, I can't remember what book, where they brought out the, the race-specific feats, mm-hmm. they didn't bring out a Dragonborn race-specific feat that would have a prerequisite of maybe like 10th level or whatever that gave you wings. But then, how do you like, how what? do you play that off? Like, oh, I just grow wings suddenly. Yeah, you become more like a dragon. Okay, all right. There is a dragonborn variant that has um, a race that has 
subclasses, uh, not subclasses, subraces, and one of them is a dragonborn with wings. But then you've got wings from the very beginning. Yeah, see, again, that's the problem. Or at least, why wasn't there a feat that improved your breath weapon and made it actually really good? Yeah. Like, you know, or at least make it a bonus action instead of an action. I would make it a bonus action and then maybe scale it like a cantrip. Yeah, see, that would be nice. But then you've got to you've got to look about how many uses you have because you don't. I think you only have you only have one use uh, per long rest, don't you? Yeah, I would make it just really good, you know, but have it only so you can only do it once. It's what what counts as really good for you though? I don't know, good damage or a good debilitating effect. Like make it more less like damage and more about like the metallic dragon effects because they have two breath weapons they have like a damaging breath weapon but then one that has like a sleep effect mm-hmm. or a fear effect or a, a, a stunning effect right yeah. anything like that like a stunning breath weapon would be pretty cool that would be cool you know that would be cool yeah i think that might be a discussion for another time though because we could go into that for hours <laughs> yes yeah. there's there's lots of things you could do around the dragonborn and and if if that's piqued your interest honestly just google there's so many different different ways of doing it okay mm. um well look coming away from that what do you think do you have have i convinced you that maybe there's a place for prestige classes in fifth edition i would definitely play the guardian i i could see that uh coming into lots of different more martial based mm. uh characters like um like barbarian i could definitely see like a barbarian type one Ugh. can you imagine if you played a totem barbarian where you have resistance to like all damage already when you're raging, mm-hmm. apart from psychic or whatever, and then you play the guardian. So like you want to get hit all the time. Your whole point is to get hit, and that like that's just lovely synergy right there. That is quite cool. Okay, I'm gonna take that as a yes, and I'm gonna uh, feel like I've accomplished my mission, and I'm going to ask people to build more prestige classes because <laughs> I want to. <laughs> I don't want to build. I get nervous about building classes. There's something about them that I'm like. Mm. I don't want to build classes, but well, it is hard to do because like getting the balance right is is difficult. Um, like you look at like the Blood Hunter that Mercer's been tinkering mm-hmm. with for yonks at this point. Like, uh, I still don't think it's that satisfying to be honest. Fair. Like, I wouldn't. Um, yeah, you know, I wouldn't play it myself. I don't think just because how it stacks up to other classes mm-hmm. i found like you saw i think you saw that in critical role as well when um talism was playing it like way back in the day mm. it just didn't really have the same impact uh, so it's just it's it's difficult to get it right i mean I, I see why wizards you know they don't i mean <laughs> just look at the um oh what do you call it what's the the class we hate the um, mystic the mystic <laughs> what's yeah. the class I mean, we look- hate <laughs> yeah okay (laughs) you know uh like that's how it can go wrong i also find as well you got to give it to wizards because a lot of this homebrew stuff or whatnot i find it's very very difficult when you're making your own stuff to write it in a succinct and understandable way Mm -hmm. uh the language has to be very clear and very easy to read and wizards are good at that they do distill things generally down to their base element to make it good like you a lot of like custom spells and things like that that you see on DMs and whatnot. You're like, this is just so wordy. Yeah. Like, just so, like, I, I, I'm not, like, it's just difficult to read. So that is a skill in and of itself. And now, surprisingly, I think uh, 
there are a few weird bits, but I think in the Lich and the the Guardian, those were both actually written well. They they felt like they could have been ripped out of a book. Yeah, for sure. Uh, they did have they have the same tone and legibility, if you will. Mm. So cool. All right. Yeah. Well, go and check these out. And as ever, you don't have to use them, but if you want to, they're there, and it's just fun to talk about. And I figured while it's getting some traction on Reddit, we might as well jump on the bandwagon and talk about it. So um, let us know what you think. You can tweet us at We Speak Common on Twitter, and if you go and look at our Twitter, you'll see a lovely meme of me. Thank you, Joe. Um, you can email us, we speak common at hotmail.com, and we've got a website, we speak common.com, where you can contact us there too. Although, to be honest, it's better to just directly email us or tweet us because it's, it's a bit more, more direct, and I get it wherever I am. Um, cool. All right, mate. Well, look, that was fun. We've got into the habit of talking for like over an hour a, a week now, so. <laughs> Just Crazy. more D&D stuff. And hopefully, as long as no one cancels, we will be playing tomorrow. So That would be the dream. That would be the dream. And I can, I can foresee someone cancelling already. I feel like something's going to happen. <sighs> cool. All right, mate. I'll see you later. See you later. Thanks for listening today. If you like the podcast, do us a favour. Leave us a like or review on your platform of choice and share us with your friends. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at WeSpeakCommon or through the email WeSpeakCommon at Hotmail.com. The music in the podcast is Street Dancing by Timecrawler82 and is licensed under an attribution license CC by NC. You can find it on the Free Music Archive. Free Music Archive.